0: Hello and welcome to Ladies, the podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world. We're your hosts... I'm Lizzie and I'm Zoe and today it's December. The world's starting to get dark and cold as the sun starts to slip away or at least in the northern hemisphere. So in order to honor that in order to bring a little brightness and warmth into your lives during these dark and cold months we've got a wide array of sun goddesses to talk about and introduce you to today. Lizzie take it away.
1: So across mythologies, solar deities are most often seen as male, while lunar deities are most often seen as female. Mm -hmm. The sun is very often seen across religious motifs, and some cultures even developed religions that revolve around the sun, such as Egyptian, Indo-European, and Mesoamerican cultures. The sun is one of the most popular deities among the Indo-European peoples and was a symbol of divine power. Sun heroes and sun kings occupy a central position in Indian mythology, and the Indo European character of sun worship is seen in the conception of a solar deity drawn in his carriage generally by four white horses, common to Indo European peoples and in recurring in Indo Iranian and Greco Roman and Scandinavian mythology. So during later periods of Roman history, sun worship was highly important and led to what has been called solar monotheism, where nearly all of the gods of the period were possessed of solar qualities, and Christ and Mithra, who was the Zoroastrian divinity of covenant light and oath, acquired the traits of solar deities. The sun is the bestower of light and life, the totality of the cosmos representing knowledge and power as well as justice and enlightenment. The sun is a source of wisdom. With this in mind, it makes sense that in patriarchal cultures, the sun would most often be seen as a man. However, yeah. there are several cultures where the sun is envisioned as female. In today's episode, we will go over a few sun goddesses and cross the world's mythologies and see the ways that the conception of a sun goddess is similar and where it differs. Awesome. So, yeah. So, to start off, one culture where the sun is envisioned as female is Basque, which women mm. have a leading role in the Basque mythological world, interestingly. Yeah. So the Basque sun goddess is called Eguski, also known as Aiki. Mm. She So according to tradition, when the earth was immersed in darkness, humans begged Amalura, the earth goddess, so basically the main goddess of the Basque pantheon, uh-huh. for help to fight the spirits that threatened them. Amalura attended to their requests and gave birth to her daughter, the moon, or Ilargi. So humans thanked Amalura for the moon's light, but it wasn't enough to protect against evil. So humans pleaded for more light and something that could overcome the darkness. So Amalura then gave birth to another daughter, the sun, which is how daylight was born. So then during the daytime, no wicked spirits threatened humans. However, when the sun sets and night stars, evil comes out and continues to threaten humans. Um. So Amalura created the Eguskalore flower, scientific name, Carlina Acaulis. Uh it means sun, flower, eguski lore, lore means flower, eguski is sun. And it's often found hung on doors outside people's homes to keep evil away.
0: Wow, that's super cool.
1: Isn't it? It yeah. like I don't know how to describe flowers, but it looks kinda like a daisy, but the flower like the petals are all white.
0: Ooh. Yeah, and so does it like nice. have a big yellow center?
1: Actually, no. And I think it was like uh, dark in the middle
0: interesting okay
1: yeah so mm-hmm. the legend has it that the lamiaq, which were creatures from basque folklore would go out at night in order to take children away from their homes however mm. if they wanted to enter they had to count the number of petals of the flower and say it loudly mm. since they didn't know how to count they could not get into houses through the night
0: so this is how people used to protect themselves from evil traditionally wow that's because it great. has so many petals. <laughs> so that's super interesting because, you know, it? we had the the vampire episode where vampires love to count. And then we yeah, had exactly. these creatures that can't count. So it's the opposite. And either way, counting, like, saves the day. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Because it's like, in one way, they love to count, so they'll just sit there forever. And in this way, they can't count, so they just can't do anything. They get about stuck,
0: it. yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly.
1: <laughs> the ancient Basques lived in harmony with nature. They were part of nature, and they worshipped it as a whole. They thought, they thought that all of nature's elements have a soul and a life of their own. That is the origin of an old expression, which goes, what has a name has a soul. Mm. Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. So in Basque mythology, Amalura, which means Mother Earth, is the most important goddess, and Eguski Amandrea, the grandmother's son, and Ilargi Amandrea, the grandmother moon, are her daughters. So, every day, they rise from the underground, and after crossing the sky, they return turn underground. When the sun is setting in the west, some people in small villages say their farewells by saying, the mother son returns with her mother. Which I thought was pretty nice. That's cute, yeah. It's actually pretty nice how, um, like, the worship of these goddesses is, like, embedded into the Basque language. Like, there's also an old expression that goes... Um, someone has got it out that it refers to, like, the sun, the moon, or the wind. So instead of saying, like, the wind blows or whatever, it's, like, somebody is making the wind blow. Oh. Yeah. And That's so cool. Isn't it? I think it's really cool. And also, yeah, so this, like, expresses in the Basque language that someone performs the action making the wind blow or the sun come out. And when it rains, they say someone produces the rain.
0: Interesting. Isn't it? So this shows an
1: ancient devotion to these goddesses, like, embedded into their language.
0: That's so fun. Isn't it? So now we're going to travel north, going to go very far north, and we're going to go to Sápmi, which is the the northernmost part of what is now known as Finland, where they worship a goddess known as Beaví. So Beaví is the Sami goddess of the sun, spring, sanity, and fertility. Sanity? Um, Yes, and we're going to talk about that. It's so interesting. interesting. Okay. And she's mainly depicted as female, but sometimes as male. And so she um, is said to travel across the sky into spring along with her daughter, Bea in an enclosure of reindeer bones and antlers, and they bring the spring along with them. And so she's associated in particular with the fertility of reindeer. She makes plants flourish so, to the re- so the reindeer can eat them and be healthy for human use. And that makes sense because reindeer are very important for um, yeah. the Sami people in, in northern Finland. So in Sápmi, which is north of the Arctic Circle, the sun hardly ever shines in the winter. And so therefore, she plays a very important role in cult worship. So, for example, um, they sacrifice a white female animal, mainly a reindeer, to her on the winter solstice in order to ensure that she will return and bring an end to winter. And then they also thread the animal's meat onto sticks, which are then bent into circles and threaded with ribbons. Huh. Yeah. And so when the sun returns, they smear butter on their doorposts as a sacrifice. And so when it melts in the sun, um, it's said to strengthen Beavi so that she can go higher in the sky. So every day, like the sun appears for a little, like, and after the winter solstice, the sun appears for a little, and every day it appears for a little bit more, or at least that's what they say in the movements, which also takes place in Finland. So you know, (laughs) Uh, I mean, you know, theoretically. Anyway, so um, so this is the very fun part during this time of return. Prayers are offered up for the mentally ill, because. Um, they be- in Sami culture, they believed that, that madness was caused by the lack of sunshine during the long winter. And they were totally right about that. Um, either, yeah. I'd say, you know, like, through seasonal depression, which we all, kn- I think, pretty much everyone knows about at this point, or, like, um, uh, you know, not getting enough, like, vitamins because of the sun, uh, not, not being D. there, yeah, not enough vitamin D, and that affecting your health, and causing things to happen so yeah um i think that's super interesting that like they have as part of her uh renewal and energy and like bringing the sun back she's also you know helping people who are mentally ill and struggling um that's beautiful. in particular yeah that's a really association. So, yeah and i just i think that's so cool and it sort of uh ties into what you said earlier about the sun often being like the light and of knowledge and stuff and you know like mm-hmm. You know, bringing people back into the light and like keeping them safe um so on also finally, on the summer solstice, they create sun rings out of leaves and pin them up in her honor, and they also eat butter as a sacred meal, so year round worship of her as the sun comes and goes, and like in the summer, the sun's always there, and in the winter, the sun's never there, but she's mm. so important, and so I thought that she's really cool, I think she's cool, yeah. So, my next lady is Amaterasu.
1: I'm not going to say too much about her because we might talk about her in a future episode. But so basically, she's the Japanese goddess of the sun. She's the center of Shinto and Japanese spiritual life. Mm. Her name can be translated as Shines from Heaven. It's made up of two kanji or Japanese idiographic characters the first meaning either heaven or imperial, and then the second meaning shines. Her primary role is as the goddess of the sun, meaning both that she serves as the literal sun in the sky and also that she provides nourishment for all living creatures. The sun represents purity and also order, which are two of the most important concepts in Shinto. Oh.
0: All,
1: yeah, all things are in creation are ordered from Amaterasu down to the denizens of Jigoku and other hells. Mm. In addition to that, the Japanese imperial family are said to be descended from Amaterasu, and from there, a natural hierarchy occurred.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So, Matarasu married her brother, Tsukuyomi, the moon. However, Tsukuyomi didn't have Matarasu's natural glowing light, and whatever goodness he had was just reflected off of her light.
0: Interesting. Tsug-
1: yeah. Tsukuyomi killed a goddess called Ukemochi, causing Matarasu to banish him. And now, night and day are forever separated.
0: Yeah. It's also very interesting because, like, they know, they, it sounds like they knew exactly how the moon was given light.
1: Yeah, exactly, which is super interesting. They were right. They were
0: totally right. That's so cool.
1: It is. Yeah, so, like, I don't want to say too much about her because we plan to cover her in in a future episode, but I will say that Mantirasu is said to be similar to the Norse goddess Sol, a rare sun goddess in a world full of sun gods. Like in Matarasa, Sol is siblings with the moon and promotes order and harmony in the world.
0: Yeah. So Sol is a very interesting character. Um, As Lizzie said, she's the Norse goddess of the sun, and she's the sister of the moon, Mauna, um, and the daughter of the god Mundilmare, which means the one moving according to particular times. Hmm. So, and then she also has a husband named Glenar, um which we don't, and I don't know anything about him, but he exists. Okay. So basically, um, a few fun facts. Um, in the poetic Edda, in a stanza called um, it says that there is a shield between the sun and the earth called Svalin, and if the shield were to fall from its position, the mountains and the ocean would burn up. And so that reminded me of um, the part in our Chang'e episode, with ah. the suns, who were all playing together and accidentally destroyed the earth. Yeah. Uh, the main myth surrounding Sol and Mount is that they are said to be chased through the sky by wolves, or two Jotuns, which are frost giants disguised as wolves, who seek to devour them and cast the world into eternal darkness. So their running path across the sky makes the days and nights. Hmm. So, uh, in the Prose Edda by Snorri Sturluson... It is said that both Sol and Maun were born as real children, and their father said they were so beautiful that he named them after the sun and the moon. And they were seen as blasphemous, so they were placed in heaven and made to drive the horses that pull the chariots of the sun and the moon. And so those horses are named Armatur and Osvither, which means early awake and very quick, hmm. which I thought is fun. And so then the chariots are chased by the wolves that threaten to devour them and the horses. And so the wolf that chases the sun is named Skull, which means treachery or mockery. And so that's basically their main position in Norse mythology. Is we have the sun and the moon in their chariots riding up and across the heavens being chased by these wolves constantly.
1: Norse cosmology is so interesting. Like they have all these
0: different like realms and everything. hmm
1: Like do you know yeah. where Soul and um who was the moon again?
0: Uh Mauna.
1: Yeah, do you know where they like lie in the whole world no, of
0: Norse stuff? I f- don't know. Um I don't think they were in a specific world though. Like, are I just, think like, they were the sort sky? of in between. Yeah, I think they're probably sort of like in between Asgard and um Midgard? Midgard. Yes. Oh, I forgot the name for the earth, but I I don't know for sure, so I might be wrong. Anyway. So, eventually this does happen. They do get devoured by the wolves. And this oh. happens in Ragnarok which is the Norse end of the world. You know it from the hit movie. It's a great movie. (laughs) So (laughs) a Yes. (laughs) Um, So what happens is the sun is swallowed by the wolf Fenrir, and the world is plunged into darkness. But before she dies, she quickly gives birth to a daughter, and that daughter grows in brilliance and strength and warmth and eventually continues in her path and grows in the same light as her mother.
1: What's the daughter's name?
0: Don't think she has one, or it's also oh. Sol, which okay. illuminates the new world that is born after Ragnarok, as told in the prose Edda. Oh. So Sol is a bit different from some of the other women that we talk about in that she's primarily referred to as an object or personification of the sun rather than a full goddess that does actions and adventures on her own. And so it's actually possible that she was not even personified at all and that the sun is feminine might just have to do with the linguistic structure of Old Norse. Makes sense. And I thought that was also interesting because, um, as you mentioned before, oftentimes the sun is masculine and the moon is feminine, as we see in a lot of different mythologies, but that's not the case here. And we can also see it in like some languages, like um, in French, sun is masculine for le soleil and moon is feminine for la lune. Um, but in this case, we have moon being masculine and sun being feminine. Um The sun may have been central to early Norse religious practices, but there's really just not enough evidence to make a solid case for that. Um, The references to personification primarily come from the poetic Eddas, which, again, not enough evidence on their own to support the existence of a sun-worshipping cult. And so, actually, she's believed to be an extension of an an earlier proto-European deity due to linguistic connections. So, some fun etymology. Fun. Linguistics. So, the name Sol is similar to the Sanskrit Surya, the common Britonic Sulus, the Lithuanian Saule, the Latin Sol, and the Slavic Tsar Solnice. Slavic. Such an
1: overachiever.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I thought that was very cool.
1: It is very cool. Yeah. Because like, it's a very, so- like, base, like, common word, and like, in a common enough word that it would make sense that mm-hmm. it would be common in, like, all Proto-Indo-European.
0: But yeah, it shows like that you know the worship you mentioned before that like proto like Indo-European worship of the sun was very, was like common and happened yeah. a lot, and so I think like possibly through the linguistics that can show that mm-hmm. um, through these different through the similarities of the name soul to other um, gods that we know of from other mythologies.
1: Yeah, because they all descended from the same like common people like back back yeah. into history. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So I think that the personification or the depiction of Sol and the sun is very interesting from an analytical standpoint of the culture that was depicting her at the time. So Sol really, and the image of the sun and the moon constantly being chased on the heavenly path by wolves or giants disguised as wolves, just really shows how uncertain and frightening life was for the early Nordic people. Yeah. Um, you know... At any point, it sort of seemed that their sun would disappear, it would be swallowed by wolves, and then the world would be plunged into darkness and destruction. And I think that's especially uh, prominent considering with the sun, considering how little sun they really got, considering how far north they were. And so the idea that the sun, one day the sun just might never rise, is really prominent in their myths about the sun.
1: It's a reasonable fear. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So I think that's very interesting.
1: Yeah. So that leads us to our next lady, who is the Cherokee sun goddess. So many Native American legends view the sun as male, and the Cherokee are one of the few who view it as female. So her name is sometimes given as Una Lanuhi, and sometimes she is nameless. Um, there, she is involved in a story that envisions her as an old woman. Yeah. With a grown daughter. And I think it's really interesting that she's envisioned as an old woman because, like, yeah. as we've talked about in the past, like, being an old woman in mythology is often, like, a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole, like, being ugly, being old, it's usually, like, mm-hmm. associated with evil.
0: Yeah. Or, like, at least just associated with death, whereas the sun is so often associated with new life and rebirth.
1: Exactly. But anyway, the story goes, so the sun lived on the other side of the sky, but her daughter lived in the middle of the sky directly above the earth. So, every day, while the sun was climbing west along the sky, she would visit her daughter's house for dinner. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Mm -hmm. The sun was jealous of the moon because of his popularity and because the people looked at him without squinting and smiled pleasantly at him in the night sky. So, she decided to kill the people. Wow. (laughs) Common, uh, dissolution. Yeah. Um. So every day when she stopped at her daughter's house, she sent down such blaring heat that fever broke out and hundreds of people died. So then the people went to the little men, who were friendly spirits, for advice, and they said that the only way was to kill the son. Oh. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. So they made a plan to kill her as she stopped at her daughter's house. The little men changed one man into a water monster called the Great Uctina and another one into a rattlesnake. However, the the rattlesnake acted too rashly and bit the daughter instead of waiting to kill the son herself. So the daughter died, and the the great Uktina was very angry. He was so angry that he was a danger to the people, and
0: they sent him to the underworld. Oh no. So our plan just went totally awry. Yeah, exactly.
1: So the son found her daughter dead and shut herself in her house and grieved for her. The people were no longer suffering from the heat, but they now lived in darkness. By the way, does that remind you of anything? Reminded me well, of um, Changa.
0: Yeah, it also reminded me of Changa. Everything goes back to her. <laughs> yeah, it does. And it's just, I think it's so interesting that, you know, you talked about how a lot of different uh, Native American legends have the sun as a man, and this is one of the few instances of having the sun as a woman. But then it's also not a very positive depiction of the sun. Uh, yeah, she's a bit um, spiteful. It's a sad story for her. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so
1: the people went to the little men again for help, but they said that they must bring her daughter back from the underworld. Oh! This, so this story is kind of similar to um, Orpheus a little bit. Yeah, it we'll sure see. is. Oh no, that's not good. <laughs> so, seven men made the journey. They were told to take a box and for each man to take a wooden rod a hand breadth long. When they got to the underworld, they were told they could find the son's daughter at a dance with the rest of the ghosts. They were told that when they saw the son's daughter, they should strike her with the rods and put her in the box to bring her back to her mother. But they must not open the box, even a crack, until they arrived home.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> so they began their journey back to the earth with the box containing the son's daughter. When the son's daughter regained consciousness, she begged to be let out, crying that she was hungry. But the men didn't lift the lid. When the sun's daughter said that she was smothering, they feared she was really dying, so they cracked open the lid just a little. No. Yeah. (laughs) So there was a fluttering sound and something flew past them into the bushes. Then they heard a red bird cry. They shut the lid and continued home. But when they arrived back, the box was empty. Mm. So from this, we know that the red bird is the daughter of the sun. If the seven men had kept the box closed, as they were told, they would have brought her home safely, and today we will be able to bring loved ones back f- from the dead. But, now we are not able to bring back people who die.
0: Wow. It's, really, it's like a really interesting combination of the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice and the myth of Pandora. Yeah! Oh my it's god, you're like, totally right. I didn't even make that connection. It's both bringing someone back to the dead, and it's also like, don't open the box! jar so whatever.
1: true oh my god <laughs> connection and
0: then both things don't work just out did it go but... awry mm-hmm. and it's also interesting that the red bird um do we know what kind of bird like it's we think it is it just red says bird red is. bird okay cool yeah so the son
1: was so grieved when they came back without her daughter that she wept and her tears caused
0: a great flood Ah. does that remind you of anything we've talked about before. i mean it reminds me of every culture in the world that has a story about a great flood of which there are many
1: <laughs> well it reminded me of um, oh it uh, reminds Eric you Lee of freda yes and oba
0: yes and um yeah episodes um what it, is it
1: nine nine and, and ten, ten. ten. <laughs> nine and ten <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> so <laughs> the, the so the people sent their handsomest young men and women to amuse the sun and they danced and sang for her but for a long time she paid no attention. Suddenly the drummer changed the song and the sun looked up and was so pleased at the sight of the beautiful people that she forgot her grief and smiled. Aww. The end. Well, I love this story. I
0: think it's so interesting. It's got a lot of twists and turns. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I think is interesting is that she doesn't go down to the underworld herself she sends yeah, people no. to do it because
1: well it's kind of their fault in the first place they yeah. have to they have to fix
0: everything mm-hmm. it's all up to humanity and then, you know there's the question of had she gone down would she have been able to accomplish it but then maybe she wouldn't have been because if her daughter's saying she's hungry and she's suffocating is she True. gonna be able to resist that you know exactly yeah so i don't know and it's interesting that we saw so many different connections
1: to, like, various other mythologies. Mm-hmm. Like, we talked about Chang'e, Oba, like, everyone. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Because there's no, yeah. uh, no like, historical connection, to my knowledge. So...
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's... A, I really like that it's a story about, like, it's not... It doesn't just end with her being sad. No, she... I like how know, at the end everyone's trying happiness. to cheer her
1: up. Like, everyone's, like, banding together to, like... Make yeah. her feel better. Like, that's that's so nice. Yeah.
0: And so even though, like, the relationship... And it's interesting because it all started because she was upset that the people didn't love her. And then <gasps> so, so the people true. are showing now that they they do love her by cheering her up. And so, like, maybe, like, you know, that's what really, like, made her happy at the end was that she saw that other people cared about her.
1: Yeah, exactly. You're so right. And that's mm-hmm. beautiful. That's a beautiful end to the kind of sad yeah. story.
0: hmm So actually... um, my next lady also involves a story into the Underworld. Ooh. So she is named Shapash, and she's the Phoenician goddess of the sun, also sometimes called the Torch of the Gods. So she, um, being the goddess of the sun, was not actually the most important goddess. She was more of a messenger goddess. She was sent, often sent on errands by El, who was the supreme god of the Canaanite pantheon, and Anat, the goddess of war who we should also do an episode on, because she's pretty cool. Yes. (laughs) Um, So, and she's also um, a psychopomp. She leads souls into or out of the underworld. So she sounds a lot like our boy Hermes. Oh, yeah. uh, By being both a messenger and the person who guides souls into the underworld. Also made me think of Hecate. Like, delivering Persephone to the
1: underworld and all that.
0: Yeah, that's so true. So this is an example of the concept of the sun traveling into and out of the underworld, which is found in a few other cultures, such as Egyptian mythology, which has the sun descend into the underworld every night. But that's a male god, so we're not talking about him. Anyway. (laughs) So, um, but I think the idea of the sun descending into the underworld is very interesting, and we can talk about that more. Mm. So there's one particular story, um that she's associated with. It's in the greater story, the epic of Baal, um, and Shapash takes Anat into the underworld to see the tomb of Baal, who is the storm god, and Anat's husband or brother, depending on the story. But not both. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, so Baal had been fighting against Mot, the god of the intense heat of the dry season and sterility, and the, he was also the ruler of the underworld. And eventually um, he had been killed by mot and sent to the underworld. So at Baal's tomb, Shapash wept so much that she became drunk on her tears like wine, which is also interesting. This
1: is, so, this is such a common motif among <laughs> the isn't it? Women crying yeah. so much. That something happens,
0: which yeah. I think is so cool, because, you know, everyone makes fun of crying women, but their tears it's actually powerful. do something. It's they powerful. They rivers, they flood the Big, world, full-world. et cetera. Yeah, it's so cool. So she stops shining as the sun and mourning of Baal's death until Anat convinces her to shine again. And so eventually she's able to retrieve Baal from the underworld and the clutches of Moat and returns him to Anat. Um, And she's able to do that through her power of leading souls into or out of the underworld, because she's traveling in and out, so she can grab him, basically. Mm. Um, So she's generally an ambivalent god, which um, I think represents the complex relationship that people in a very hot land will have with the sun. That's fair. So Yeah, so it's necessary for life, but also deadly to life at times. It allows crops to grow, but could cause them to wither. And sometimes she will ally herself with Mot. So, like, some points, like, while Baal is considered dead and the sun stands still, basically during a drought, she is allied with Mot and basically dries everything up. And then other times she allies herself with Baal and Anat and allows for rain and storms. Um, And so that when she allies herself with Mot, that's likely a reference to the intensity of the sun at the summer solstice. Yeah, so Baal is eventually restored and battles with Mot, but Shapash convinces Mot to concede, allowing Baal to be victorious. And so that gives her a role as the judge of the gods and the ultimate savior of mankind, despite her ambivalence. Oh,
1: that's so
0: nice. I think that you know also shows like again the essentiality of the sun and the fact that it's needed for everything. For life and for, for life to exist. Light. Yeah. And again, like, you know, the symbolism of the sun, like you said earlier about the sun bringing light and knowledge, is like the sun, you know, bringing judgment, and she's able to see things clearly through, like, the light of the sun. Mm-hmm. So that's Shaposh. I think she's pretty cool. She is. And you yeah. don't hear much about Phoenician mythology, do you? No, not really. And this is old old stuff.
1: Yeah, I bet. Mm-hmm. Another mythology you don't hear too much about... um, Aboriginal Australian mythology. So, the okay, so our next goddess is Yi, possibly pronounced differently. I couldn't find a pronunciation for that. So sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong, but Yi was an Aboriginal sun goddess from Australia, specifically associated with the Gamalare people, who are one of the four largest indigenous nations in Australia. Awesome. So there are a few different stories involving her that I found. One says that she is a wanted woman who overtook her enemy, the moon. Yeah. Oh. Tried... It's interesting, because usually they're not, like, quite enemies, I feel like.
0: Yeah. It's the sun and the
1: moon. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that doesn't... because well, that... as Well, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway. Mm-hmm. She tried to kill him, but humans prevented it. Another says that he made advances on the moon who wasn't interested, and now she chases him across the sky. Fun. Yeah. This also explains why eclipses occur, because the sun is overtaking the moon. Yeah. I love when these, like, myths explain, like, you know, like... Yeah. ...natural phenomenons. For sure. Anyway, so then the other story about her, which I really, really like. (laughs) So there's a story about her where she creates the animals... So, Yi was asleep in dream time, which was a hazy, timeless dream that existed before the world began. Mm -hmm. So she awoke in a world of complete darkness, and her very existence brought light to the world. She walked all around the earth, and flowers sprang from her footprints. She looked around in caves, and butterflies appeared. In the shadows, she sensed spirits that yearned for existence, so she created animals, then left Satisfied.
0: Oh, that reminds me kind of of um, the story in Genesis of God creating the earth and animals. Because um, at the end, it was always like, and God saw that it was good.
1: Oh, you know. yeah. <laughs>
0: it's, mm-hmm. Yeah, she was like, oh, yeah,
1: this looks good. And then she just left. Yeah. Wow. So apparently he was bad at anatomy and the creatures oh, no. she created didn't have legs, feet or wings and couldn't move anywhere. Oh, so, no. <laughs> so they called upon her for help. So she came back and added wings and legs and fins and whatever else. However, since her anatomical skills were not excellent, Australia ended up with strange and interesting wildlife. Oh like my platypus, gosh. Like emu, and kangaroo. That's incredible. Isn't it just? I love that. That's such, that's such a great story. <laughs> Isn't it? So yeah. there was also a human man who was also strange, walking around on just two legs. He was shunned by all, so out of compassion, Yi gave him a companion. She now had much more practice creating creatures, so she took a beautiful flower stalk and created the first woman uh i love that story it's like a like, man is the first draft and then you have like the beautiful woman from the flower
0: yeah i also i mean like it's so funny like literally she was bad at anatomy is I love just the perfect it. it's the perfect way to explain a platypus exactly like oh how did how did an animal like a platypus be created i it love just, them it just happens how? when god
1: isn't good at anatomy <laughs> I love
0: that I love that for her because yeah. mostly
1: they're quite like infallible but she's like yeah bad anatomy and that's why yeah. you have such weird creatures roaming the land
0: yeah it's like literally you know and it just makes, it's just so like you know the area like you know the island there's so many unique species that are not yeah. from anywhere else and so it's just so unique to the area to be like oh there was a goddess who was you know kind of bad at anatomy so she created <laughs> all these weird animals Like, you don't really hear that anywhere else because there's just not such a unique, like, diversity of wildlife. Exactly. Like, it makes total sense. Yeah.
1: I love that. So that's so cool. I think it's so fun. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: So that's ye. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And our final lady today is Olwen. And so she is a Welsh flower and sun goddess, and her name means golden wheel, which is believed to refer to the sun.
1: So she's the goddess of flowers and the
0: sun. Yeah, and kind of like springtime in general.
1: It kind of reminds me of Eguski because she has that flower named after her.
0: Right. Yes. And so actually, when Olwen walks, white trefoil clover flowers spring up wherever her foot Interesting. Yeah. So and so she's like so yeah. many connections today. Yeah. I mean, it's so cool. And so she's likely an ancient goddess whose original stories and powers have been lost, and the story that remains is told in the Mabinogion, which is the earliest prose stories of the literature in Britain composed in Middle Welsh, which I think is fun, that the earliest prose stories of the literature in Britain is actually Welsh. But anyways. (laughs) All right, so the story is told in the Kilhuch Ach Owen, which is considered by some to be the earliest story in the Arthurian canon. Fun fact.
1: Oh, Arthurian canon.
0: Yeah, because, um, you know, there's a character that's like... um, yeah, you'll, you'll hear. Anyway, so she is the daughter of the giant, uh, Ispananen Pencower, which means giant hawthorn tree, and he was destined to die if she ever married. So, in order to avoid this, he set thirty-nine very difficult tasks that all suitors needed to complete in order to marry her. Love that. So many had many tried anyway. All of them failed. So then, the hero of the story, Kilhuch. Enlisted the help of his cousin, King Arthur. Ooh. And also a shepherd named Kistanin, who's also the just like the disowned brother of Espananin. So they go to meet Olwen and Kilhu and Olwen fall in love instantly, but Kilhu still has to complete the tasks. But he does! He managed to complete all the tasks in time for marriage on May Day, which is the beginning of the Celtic summer. Ooh. Yeah, so most of the story in the Mabinogian and that section is, um, about him completing all the tasks, but, yeah. I so feel then, like if you
1: want people not
0: to marry your daughter, you shouldn't set some heroic tasks, because then yeah, it's gonna be, like... because then everyone's gonna try! Exactly. Yeah, and, like, they were like, oh, I wasn't, I wasn't gonna try, but then, like, now you've made it hard, and I wanna see if I can do it, you know? this is probably an like age of, like, people trying to
1: prove themselves and like be heroes Mm -hmm. and everything
0: yeah yeah i mean it's like the same i mean it's a very similar story it reminds me of perseus it reminds me of oedipus you know like i mean also like just trying to avoid fate anyway like you know it's gonna happen you just gotta go with it yeah yeah um so yes exactly so on their wedding day or around their wedding day is is decapitated as is foretold and his blood drips red like hawthorn berries representing that the year has passed and a new year begins. Hmm. So, some other things about Olwen. she said to always leave behind rings when she bathes. Like, actual rings like that you wear on your finger. Interesting. And they sp- spread warmth and light of the sun to whoever finds them. And that's kind of the only thing we really know about her. The rest remains secret. So if you find a ring in the forest or wherever it's like... Yeah. Yeah, and it's like warm and light. Yeah. That's nice. She rules the underworld, the earth, and the heavens, and so she goes into the underworld in the fall and emerges from the underworld every May Day, bringing the sun, flowers, and spring with her, which you know sounds familiar.
1: Yes, it sounds like uh, Persephone.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, it shows the rebirth of life and light from the death and darkness of winter, and it's the connection again of the sun and the underworld interacting, as we had with Shaposh. And her power over the sun unites the earth and the heavens. So, that's Olin, a very cool little lady from Welsh mythology. Very nice. Yeah. So, one of my thoughts about, um, like, listening to these stories is the different views of sun goddesses depending on the location. Like the climate and everything. Yeah. So... I mean, yeah, so like in very cold, darker areas, sun gods are more venerated and glorified. So an example is baby in Sapmi, and Olwen in Wales, who are both seen as, you know, bringers of life and light, springtime, and good things. And compared to Shapash, who is a lot more ambivalent and less good, um, and she is the goddess from an area that's a lot warmer, um, a little bit more desert, and a lot more uh, inclined to extremely hot temperatures. Mm. Um, so I thought that was really interesting.
1: Like I, I was thinking about that as well when you were talking about um, Shabash.
0: Um, I also again like I thought the use of uh, old women as um, sunglasses was very interesting. In particular, and like, often you know, we like s- mothers as well. Yeah, and we saw it twice in years. We saw it with um, with Aguski.
1: And also with the Cherokee sun goddess, because yeah, was, and the like, Cherokee sun goddess, she, was she had mother. a daughter.
0: Yeah, and so I just think that's you know, like, because I said you know, um, in the case of like Olwen, she's you know, like the maiden, she's like light and rebirth, um, and but like for to have like an older woman represent the sun. I mean, it makes sense because the sun is so ancient. Yeah, that was exactly what I was thinking, you know, is that the sun is, it's been worshipped for so long, it's been around for so long, you know, to have an older woman represent it, sort of, seems to, like, acknowledge, you know, how long it's been there, and how much, like, a god of the sun would have to be, would have been around in order to, you know, keep the sun going.
1: Yeah, yeah. I also find it interesting that every sun goddess is seen to be a counterpart of the moon, and like every sun deity in general, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And this is like seemingly universal across mythologies. though sometimes the sun is like a sibling, sometimes like part of Mm -hmm. a couple, sometimes they're enemies. But like either way, like every single sun deity, basically we talked about, yeah, right, was like a counterpart to the moon.
0: Yeah, and I, I forgot I didn't write her down, but there was there is like a moon maiden in um welsh mythology that owen is like sort of considered a counterpart to that's cool because i do feel like every time there's a sun and a moon it's like they're usually opposite
1: genders yeah so aguski and then also owen they were part of like yeah you know, two women mm-hmm.
0: yeah and i thought the differing relationships of the sun and the moon depending on mythology was interesting like sometimes they were siblings sometimes they were married sometimes they were enemies. You know, I think that's interesting, the way, know, different interesting. ways in which they were associated. Mm-hmm. And, like, how people have always, like, associated the sun and the moon together, and it's, it's not like, oh, there was a sun, and, like, the moon was whatever, you know, like...
1: Yeah, like, every single totally associates them in some way. It's mm-hmm. like,
0: something we're talking someone's... about
1: in um, the Chongo episode of, like, Yin and Yang, like, they complement each yeah. other. Yeah. It's, like, part of a whole...
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's part of like the uh, symbolism of the yin and yang, isn't it? It's like the the sun and the moon. I believe yes. Light and dark. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes sense, even though yeah. we know, like, with modern ideas about astronomy, that it's mm-hmm. like,
0: I mean, they're quite far away from each other. <laughs> yeah, they're quite different things. Yeah, but like, in the end, they're both the things that give us light.
1: And they still, we still even now, like, can, like, sort of refer to them as being opposites or, like, part of a whole or whatever.
0: Yeah. Like, sun versus moon, you know? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Like, um, you know, if people are listing opposites, they'll be like, oh, it's, they're as different as the sun and the moon. Yeah. And things like that, you know. Exactly.
1: I also find it interesting that the sun is, in all these stories, basically, like, an intrinsically, like, part of nature. And often Mm -hmm. sun goddesses seem to be seen as sort of a Mother Nature figure, a figure who brings Mm -hmm. life and light to the world and is often associated with Mm -hmm. creation stories and stories about how the world is the way that it is. I thought that a lot in my stories that I was telling. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just find that so interesting. Like, it always, like, oh, this is how it is. Like, this is why you can't bring people back from the dead. Or, like, why
0: Australia has such weird, like, (laughs) animals. Yeah. I think it's just such an essential part of, like, human mythology is the sun. Because, like I said, you know, you can't live without the sun. Exactly. It's always been there. And, like, no matter where you are in the world, there the sun is there. Exactly. Even if you're as far north as Sopmi.
1: hmm
0: You know, like, and the sun will be there at least part of the time or at least a lot of the time in the summer. It'll, like, yeah. never set. But, like, yeah. And so, like, even if, you know, you don't all have the same animals or the same trees or the same, like, geography, you always have the sun. Exactly. And the moon. Yeah. You're always looking at the moon. Yes. Or the sun. Don't look at the sun. (laughs) Don't look at the sun. Don't look at the sun. (laughs) Well, with that, that's the end of our third themed episode on sun goddesses. Thank you for listening. Please, if you enjoyed, subscribe and leave us a review. And maybe tell your friends, too, about how much you enjoyed the show. Yes, Thanks thank so you. so much. And see you next week. Bye.
1: Mytho Ladies podcast is produced, researched, and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MythoLadies and visit us on our website at MythoLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree.